Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash portland On this episode of the podcast, we have George Carrillo, who is a former Democratic candidate for governor who has recently endorsed Christine Drazen. And we are here to talk to him about uh, why he made that decision and how what else he's doing. So, George, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Absolutely. So, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You used to work at OHA. You're a, a Marine Corps veteran, um, obviously former candidate for for governor. I looked. You you placed fourth. Is that right? Yep, I placed fourth. Okay, yeah. good, good. There was a, there were a lot of people on the Democratic side, just like on the Republican side. So that's yeah, it was crazy. Respectable. I think, I think there was like 24 of us that were running. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. yeah, the two big ones, but then lots of. Lots of other people. So yeah, go ahead. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Yeah. So thanks. So a little bit about me. You know, I was actually born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. And then when I decided to join the Marine Corps, I left and, you know, I left at the age of 18 and served about six years there. And then when I got discharged, um, unfortunately, I was hurt, so I couldn't continue my service. And then from there, I ended up in Arizona and became a sheriff deputy down there. And really loved it, but we had family here up in Oregon, and we decided to move up here and be closer to closer to family. Got it. And so then here, I just started working for the Oregon Department of Human Services, and ultimately um, going over to the Oregon Health Authority. Got it. What did you do in the Marine Corps? So in the Marine Corps, I, I chose the difficult route. I went into the infantry. Ah. <laughs> I spent eight years in the army. I did communications. So oh, okay. Not. Um, not the same. <laughs> okay, my brother was a Marine, though, Marine Infantry, and he was stationed at uh, 29 Palms in uh, California. And he, uh, I'm not sure if he enjoyed it. I think he, I think he did, but he did his four years and then he got out. So he wasn't looking to, but anyway. So, uh, what made you decide to run for governor in the first place? And you, you mentioned before the podcast that you were, this is your first time running for, for anything. So, kind of an ambitious first step. Yeah. You know, when I looked at other positions that I would, you know, go for as far as like an election, I didn't feel comfortable with any of them except for being governor. And just because of the fact that I work in the executive branch as it is, right? So I work for Department of Human Services, for the Oregon Health Authority. I've been a manager for the most of my time there for the past seven years. And, you know, the way to, you know, the way government works and functions isn't necessarily working for the people of Oregon. And so, you know, when you get up to a certain level, you start seeing all the politics that are coming in play. You're seeing how, you know, just the system itself doesn't really help people the way it's intended to help. And so um, when you have a system where there's not accountability, well, the only person that can provide that accountability is the governor. And so that's the reason why I decided to actually do something about it and say, OK, I, I want to take all of my executive experience, especially in the executive office and run for governor. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you started that sentence saying the government works, and I was like, we're begging the question that the government actually does work. <laughs> I'm not quite so, so sure about that with some of the agencies we got here in Oregon. But um, definitely understand where you're coming from and the desire to go through and kind of help improve that. I, it, one of the things that we, we had had a, a conversation with a guest was about, well, you know, the, the governor, even if it is a Republican that wins, is still going to have to deal with the Democratic legislature, and there's going to be a lot of tit for tat, and there's just not going to be a lot of legislation that gets done. And one of the points that I, f- I forget if it was James you if, if it was me you made yeah. it. We're basically the same person, so it doesn't really matter. It <laughs> sounds us, the same. We've, yeah. we've been mistaken on the show. We before. have, yeah. <laughs> well, one of us made the point that, well, yeah, but Governor Dre's in a Republican, even with dealing with the Democratic legislature, is still going to have an incredible amount of power setting agency heads, setting policy, making sure, you know, holding individuals accountable. And at the end of the day, legislation can be whatever it wants to be. But if we're able to make help make the government services work better and work more efficiently and serve more Oregonians the way that they're supposed to do, that's a huge win in and of itself, even if Christine Drazen never gets any massive, you know, big Republican bills pushed through or anything like that. Yeah, well, see, what the problem right now, what we have, though, is that we have so much legislation going through and we don't have a checks and balance in our system. Mm-hmm. So we just keep spending, spending. We, can, we keep creating more regulations. We're not a very business friendly state. You know, our government is massive. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and we just continue to increase the size because we think, oh, more people, more work. We're going to help more people. That doesn't work that way. And government doesn't worry about getting money. Small yep. business owners can be open today and gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. This government is not going to close its doors. So they don't worry the way a small business worries. And so that's the reason why businesses just don't work here. So I, can I just ask just some of the things that you were just saying there, are you sure you're a Democrat? Because <laughs> we've had a lot of guests on this show who are registered Republicans who made a lot of the exact same comments that you just made. What 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 is it that kind of drew you to the Democratic Party? What is it about the values that you know being a part of the blue team of spouses and kind of made you want to run for a leadership position as a Democrat? Well, you know, I've always been a Democrat. I've always voted for Democrats. Um, you know, I believe in equity and equality. I believe that. Um, and a woman's choice, um, to choose whether or not they want to have an abortion. Um, I have just more democratic beliefs than Republican beliefs, but just because I'm a Democrat doesn't mean that I always vote on party lines. Not everything that the democratic party does, I agree with. Mm-hmm. And when we only vote on party lines, that's bad, right? Because yeah. we need to have all different types of opinions. That's what diversity is. And right now we don't have that in our legislature. We don't have that in, in, in our government right now. We have a lot of politics going on. And so, yeah, some people ask me the same question. They're like, are you sure? Are you sure you're, you're a Democrat? And it's like, yeah, but I don't believe that we need to have massive amounts of, um, that the government needs, needs to be so big and that we need, um, just this oversight to be able to control every single part of, of, um, of Oregon. It, it doesn't work. It, you know, there's a, there's a reason why this country is great. And this country is great because of small business. We believe in our freedoms. Um, these are the things that I fought for as a Marine. And those are the principles that, you know, I use in my leadership, regardless of whether I'm a politician or I'm trying to help Oregonians and DHS or at OHA. Okay. This is one of the things that I have been trying to get through the heads of fellow Republicans is that those, this, I mean, the fact that you are, you believe that equality and equity are, are not Republican values. I, you know, that is, 
that is a problem with us. That's a problem with Team Red because we are not very, doing a very good job of explaining that and and being the champion of, of equality. And as far as, as uh, you know, women's right to choose, you know, that's obviously going to be a part of the Republican platform probably until the end of time. But I wish that we as Republicans could focus on good governance because I think that is one area where the elected Democrats have, have absolutely failed. And some of the things you're talking about, how government just has a hard time, it just doesn't work and is, is huge and spends tons of money on not very many solutions. And this is something where even if you don't want Republicans to win elected office, just a little bit of electoral risk. You know, that if you do a bad job and that you can lose your election to the other party, mm -hmm. even just that threat would be enough, I think, to take to make some of these people like look twice before they just do whatever they want. But in Oregon, we've been a blue state for 40 years and there is no electoral risk. You know, Shamia Fagan is just going off the deep end with all the things that she's doing, is my opinion, um, whether it's blocking the. Uh, that latest um, the campaign finance ballot measure um, going after she, Betsy's signatures. going after Betsy's signatures. I mean, she's doing all this partisan stuff as the Secretary of State, and there's no there's no consequence. There's no consequences for that. Um, Governor Brown with the the uh, lockdowns over COVID, and I don't know your your opinions on that, but a lot of people that that rubbed them the wrong way. The employment department not sending out checks. You know, these these are, are basic government functions that are just failing and the Republican Party can't get their act together and provide some sort of meaningful resistance or meaningful alter alternative. So I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. And yeah. <laughs> this is why we have a podcast. We have a soapbox. That's the whole point. <laughs> well, I think where the Republican Party goes wrong, and I think this is for both sides, though, to be honest with you, both mm -hmm. Republican and Democrat. If a Democrat says we're going left, Republicans are going to say we're going to go right. Yeah. Right. True. Instead of just owning it and saying, no, we're going to go left too, but we're going to, we're going to make a better left than you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think like to, with equity, they have, the Republican party has shied away from what equity is. And equity is not a race thing. That, that's where I think people get it wrong. Right. They mm -hmm. think, oh, you know, it's, you know, um, uh, where white people say, well, uh, it's a racist term because, you know, why am I being punished for being white or, you know, things like that. And we just start fighting with each other over mm -hmm. a word. Yeah. And all equity is, is giving every individual, regardless of race, religion, or creed, the same opportunity with the, the right amount of tools. Just like we think about it for our kids, right? Mm -hmm. when, when we have a child that has a special learning disability, we're not very equitable in this state. We don't know how to provide children with the tools to be successful. It's a blanket approach. And I don't know about you guys, but I learn different from other people. Sure. Right. And so equity is just providing me with those tools that I need to be able to educate myself. I that's all that equity all. is. That's my, that's my way of going. Yeah. Just never learn anything. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I, this, this used to be something that Republicans love to say was we are for equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. And. We need to actually it's take that become, next step and be interested in equality of opportunity because we're not. We're, there are differences in how individuals manage and see the world if you are black or Hispanic or differently abled or a woman or trans or anything like that. And if this is something that we're going to be serious about, that we're serious about equality of opportunity, then we need to actually be serious about it. It's not just something to say so that you can get upset at the other side for 
trying to do their own version of solving the exact same problem. But I, I, I agree yeah. with James. It's a, it, that's a team R thing. We just, we kind of need to step our game up on that one. And it's hard because, and this is something I've been thinking about for a while. Liberals in general, I think, in broad brush generalization, are very accepting of change to the point where anything changes, if it's a good idea, they'll jump in with both feet and immediately make it a part of their personality. Conservatives are the opposite, where it doesn't matter if the change is good, bad, or indifferent, they will resist it. <laughs> and so those two things working together, I think you eventually get to the right place where you're, where you change happens, but it happens slowly and it happens in the right way. Um, with Democrats controlling Oregon, I think we, we change so quickly. And I mean, you look at just the, the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion, just that the idea of that and what, what it was even five years ago versus what it is now. And I think conservatives look at that and change is scary. <laughs> I think that is probably one of the biggest things is they, they see all these things and they see the Democrats are jumping into this, this DEI idea. And like you said, if, if they go left, we must go right because that's how we maintain our, you know, our whatever and get, get people to vote for us. So it's, it's frustrating, but it's, um, I think it's just understanding the nature of people and understanding the nature of not even Democrats and Republicans, but just conservatives and liberals is, um, anyway. Well, this state is really, really interesting though, because, um, I'm a Democrat, but I will tell you, I have no problem calling out my democratic party mm. and they don't have DEI right either. So yeah. I know people are really hard on Republicans, but let me tell you, being a person of color, being part of the Republican Party, I mean, Republican Party, being part of the Democratic Party. <laughs> sorry. See, see? <laughs> got, it's the wine. It's the wine. <laughs> being part of the Democratic Party, I will tell you, there are plenty of racist Democrats mm -hmm. that I have come across, um, whether it's in elected office, whether it's in state government or just walking down the street. Mm -hmm. So, um we're really good at hiding it. I will be honest with you because we're all about equity and diversity and inclusion and this, that, and the other. And guess what? They, for me as a person of color, they're just empty words. Mm -hmm. People have not understood what it really means to have real DEI. All the Democrats have done is they've tokenized positions. They've created policies off the back of black and brown individuals here in the state. And I think that is just pathetic. Well, especially this, so this, we're recording this on Friday the 7th. It was just two days ago that, uh, there was a, a BIPOC owned coffee shop in Portland that was, uh, they had their windows broken and smashed in and raided and everything like that because they hosted an event called Coffee, Coffee with a Cop. And there was enough, you know, Antifa type people who were upset that they would, you know, do anything to kind of humanize police officers. And when it was pointed out that, you just smashed the windows and ruined the business and the livelihood of individuals of color. I saw a couple of different Twitter responses that were going back and saying, all right, that was, yeah, you're right. That's bad. We need to go destroy the coffee shops of white owned people now. And it's like, no, what? <laughs> no, 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 miss, miss that one. Yeah. This, this isn't how, this isn't how equality works. This is why I stay off Twitter, by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, it's definitely, well, you're, you're a big Reddit guy. I mean, that's, I do Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. But, um, 
So I, I'd be curious. We'll see if we keep it in, but I think you made a comment that you enjoyed the wine just as James started the recording. And I actually, I intentionally brought this bottle because I, you're right. It is, it is quite good. But we had, when we recorded our episode with Christine Drazen, there was a, a bit of a snafu. And I, I hope she's all right with me saying this part of the story. It's probably there was, there was a bit of a snafu and we thought that we were supposed to meet her at four and she thought she was supposed to meet us at five. So we just hung outside her office for like an hour. And as a, a, a token of apology, she, uh, she put together a basket that had a bottle of wine, a couple of beers, a couple of snacks, whatever. Said, hey, here's this little gift basket. You know, really sorry that we crossed crossed our wires on the on the timing situation. And it was this particular bottle of wine that, that she had brought. So I, you know, ladies and gentlemen, anybody who's listening, if you start a podcast and you achieve some <laughs> modicum of success with it and you get Christine Drazen on it, she may give you wine if she shows up late. So just a motivation for everybody to start their own politics podcast. But I, I say all of this in service of thanking the wonderful now candidate nominee for governor from the Republican side, Christine Drazen. But as a way to kind of tee up the question, what was it about her specifically that made you, who is a Democrat, who does side with Team Blue on a, you know more issues than you side with Team Red? What was it that made you want to reach out and endorse her, somebody on the other side of the aisle? Yeah, so that's a great question. I was really fortunate that her team reached out to me and wanted to have an open dialogue about getting to know me and um, I explained who I was and what I believe in and they definitely wanted me to have a conversation with Christine and so Christine and I talked and we hit it off right away um, I could tell that Christine took the time to read my campaign pillars what I was doing on the campaign mm-hmm. there was a reason why she was reaching out to me and I'll, I'll be honest with you I was a little hesitant at first you know I okay. was like what's this all about a Republican reaching out to me you know <laughs> <laughs> And um, I really appreciated um, the amount of time that she took to really read up on my healthcare stuff, on especially on my law enforcement, because I have just a huge passion for law enforcement because I was a sheriff deputy. Um, and we just had really great conversations about what we can do and the, the policies that need to change. Okay. And so then, um, you know, we decided to have uh, dinner together. And I just talk about an individual that's just a really good person, right? Mm-hmm. Throw the politics, throw all of this other stuff out. Christine Drazen, as a person, is a wonderful individual. And I was like, wow. If I didn't know she was a Republican, we would we, we would have had a long-lasting relationship because I would have never known that she's a Republican. Mm-hmm. None of those things. She was never trying to impose her points of views to convince me to switch sides. Mm-hmm. Right? I just had the opportunity to learn more about her. Mm-hmm. And she had the opportunity to learn more about me. And we found more in common than we actually in the things that we disagreed. I found that a lot. Um, being a Republican in the metro area can sometimes feel like you're on an island. But when you actually get down and start talking to people, it's uh, it, it's amazing how much you find that's that's in common. So I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, I think here's the thing. Like every day when we go to the grocery store or we go to work or we go anywhere, guess what? We're surrounded by Democrats and independents and Republicans, and we don't dog each other out. It's the the only time that happens is when election time happens. And then all of a sudden we start throwing lies out there. We start saying, oh, my God, if we do this, then, you know, this is going to happen. It's going to be the end of the world. And I'm like, that is just not right. If if I were to apply for a job, they would never ask me what political party am I affiliated with. Mm hmm. Well, what does it matter right now, especially since we are all interviewing who's going to be the next governor? 
So it's it's funny. I spent a couple years in D.C. after I had graduated from from undergrad, and in D.C. you get asked about your political affiliation just as often as you get asked what your name is, and so it's just one of those things where everybody just kind of gets used to it, and so it just kind of growing up, it's just like I felt it was normal for me to kind of talk about that stuff, and I remember especially when I got out here. We, uh, the, the officiant who married my wife and I, who is the, the chair of Portland Public Schools, we've actually had her, the PPS board, we've actually had her on the, on an episode before. We, the three of us were just sitting, talking, having coffee. She just said, let me just get, kind of get to know the two of you before I perform the ceremony, just so I have stuff to talk about or whatever. And about 10 minutes in, she just kind of leans over to my wife and just kind of like whispers, like jokingly, but like, obviously I can still hear, she just kind of whispers, like, is he a Republican? And you get out here and it's just like, oh my gosh, like there are other people who think differently. And it's one of those things where you just kind of never really think about what somebody else's politics are. You, you work for a big company or a small company. You have a, a good job or you don't make that much money. You like to read. You like to hike. You like to see movies. You like to play basketball, you know, whatever it is. We have all these ways of kind of categorizing people. And usually, for most of your friends, unless you're like Jimbo and I and just run around a bunch of political circles and have a podcast <laughs> where you stick a microphone in front of somebody and say, hey, tell me what you think about issue X, you tend not to know what your friends and coworkers and sometimes even family's politics are. And you still get the chance to to appreciate them and love them anyway. And it's just... It's so funny to see that, you know, like we are right now, again, this is Friday, October 7th, we're in the throes of election season where everybody hates everybody. And this, oh, he's such a bad the guy. Negative ads coming out of Oh, my goodness. Red background hue and all this music <laughs> with cellos and it's so foreboding. <laughs> oh, my God. And then they get back to it. And it's just like, you know, obviously, like, I want my team to win. You want your team to win. We all have the candidates that we like. We all have the candidates that we don't like. But on, you know, middle of November, end of November, post-election, 99% of people just kind of go back to their lives. And yep. you're like, you can still be a good person even if we disagree on the politics. Like, it doesn't have to be the first thing that comes up. And now, all of a sudden, people are at each other's throats. I know. You know, I, I totally feel that. You know, I've been making a joke lately with my friends. And I tell them, you know, what's worse than a Republican in the state of Oregon? And they're like, an independent? I'm like, no. I'm like, I'm like, no, a Democrat that supports a Republican. Because <laughs> let me tell you, the hateful tweets and the, you know, the Facebook post when I announced that I was going to support, you know, Christine. Yeah. You know, my constituents, you know, people that follow me and everything, they were really upset with me. Really, really upset. It took, it's taken them about a month or so to finally calm down listen to why they even supported me and why am I supporting Christine? Now, all of a sudden, things are starting to change. Do you notice a backlash as a person of color too or is it mostly just because you're a Democrat? I'm curious. Yeah, I think it, to be honest with you, it's kind of across the board. Uh Um, But I think people have slowly started to start changing their mind. You know, I've had a lot of people that have reached out and just have asked me a lot more questions, especially people of color. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, it's great to see how people are starting to be a little bit more open-minded and not just being so judgmental because the knee-jerk reaction is traitor. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're supposed to be, yeah. you know, party line, you know, this, that, and the other. And people are starting to see why I endorse Christine. Christine in these debates, I think, has done an amazing job. She's kept her composure. She's very clear in her communication. She represents herself well, and I think she'll represent Oregon really well. So if so, as an individual who is a Democrat, uh, you obviously you ran against Tina Kotek, but uh, it, it sounds like there's maybe not any like 
personal animosity or anything against Tina Kotek per se. It might just be that you don't feel that her policies or her leadership style is right. And the fact that Christine was able to kind of sit and talk with you and get to know you and learn a little bit about what your, what your issues are that made you reach across the aisle and not consider endorsing Tina? Or is there some kind of personal animosity like, man, I just can't stand that one. (laughs) (laughs) So I know Christine a little bit. You know, her and I have had some conversations. You know, I don't hold any personal animosity with her. Just like with Betsy Johnson. I know Betsy Johnson also. Sure. But um, I think when it comes down to it, because I've worked in the executive branch, I know what it takes. And I know what the right type of leader um, it takes in order to have um, the right policies and the right implementation strategy mm-hmm. and nothing against Tina or Betsy, but I really do believe that Christine is going to change department heads. She is going to make um, our government more efficient. She's going to provide the actual resources that we need to tackle on homelessness and our mental health, especially our drug addiction problem that we have. She's also going to fund the police. I do not see Betsy or Tina um, doing that. I think there, it's the, it's going to be the status quo. Mm-hmm. I know that Betsy likes to say that she is an independent, but she's been a Democrat for the past 20 years. Mm-hmm. Right. And so she is a Democrat and that's, that's okay. Right. Right. But we can't have the same failed policies enacted, you know, to continue to exist in Oregon. It's not going to help us. So for me, that choice, it's got to be Christine. Christine will make the changes. She will get all of Kate Brown's friends out of these um, um, direct appointment positions as directors. And those new directors will point um, better leadership within our state government across the board to actually support the people that really need our help. I think the, the bar needs to be really high for Christine uh, because it, if, you know, hopefully she wins, but if she wins, uh, she will be a very much underdog for re-election just because of the, the nature of, of the state of Oregon. And she would not be the first Republican president in a, or governor, <laughs> Republican governor in, in a blue state. Skipping ahead a few I know, years I there know, already. Right? Yeah. Um, president Drazen has a nice know, to it. George is a Republican here. I'm talking about president. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, I lost my train of thought, but, um, she Hard needs to, to be, she needs to be, the best governor this state has ever seen if she has any shot at all of, of being reelected. I think that everybody is going to know that if she wins, she's going to win with 40% of the vote, 42. And the, the next time around, the Democrat is going to be gunning for her. So, um, there's a, there's a pretty high standard. She can't just coast. She'll need to, to again, be the best governor that the state of Oregon has ever seen. And I think she knows that. I think her team knows that. And I know that, and I think that they're going to go into this knowing that she's, she's got to prove herself. So I appreciate that. I think the other two could coast a little bit more. Absolutely. So, well, and so this was, this was my, cause so one of the things I'd wanted to, and you kind of just, you, you stepped on my toes a little bit. It's not a big deal or I won't, you're not going to take it personally, but I was going to ask why you wouldn't, you know, like, I feel like the logical move would be to go from Democrat to independent and then to Republican. You just went all the way to Republican. Why you wouldn't have considered endorsing Betsy? And you already, you just kind of answered that question a little bit there. Um, but I, I was, I was curious to know, 
So, oh man, now I just not now I just lost my. No, job. I pulled it. This is the worst. <laughs> I think I, I really think Betsy would have done it. Would do a good job. Um, I have been following her. I don't think I've ever met her, but I've I've been following her for for a while. And just the work she did on the Bobby Lakes Hope Center. Um, the fact that everybody, everybody's anybody knows her, and she's she's helped them with something. Yep. She, Betsy was always the person in the legislature where if you couldn't get things done through the proper channels. A call to Betsy was kind of like your last resort, and she would she would help you out. And I think that she would do a really good job as governor. The issue is she's not going to win mm-hmm. polling. Nothing like she she's ten points behind the other two. It's neck and neck between Drazen and, and Kotek, and and Johnson is is ten points behind. So uh, this is what I have said for anyone who's listening. <laughs> I was going to vote. I said back in May I would vote for whoever was polling higher. Drazen or Johnson because I think they would both do a good job. I like Drazen because she's a Republican and she'd appoint Republicans and there's other reasons for that. But I think Betsy would do a great job as well. Uh, right now it's not even close. It's, it's, it's Christine or Tina. So if anyone who's considering voting for Betsy, uh, your, your, your candidate's going to come in third. So I would recommend Picking a side. So I, I was hopefully, gonna, Drazen. Hopefully, Drazen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, my question that I would, I'd really like to ask Betsy Johnson is, what are what bills that are going to come out of a Democratic legislature are you going to look to veto? Mm. Because, I, again, as somebody who is, you know, has been a Democrat for the last 20 years of her elected life, and I keep seeing the stat on all the ads, but she voted with Tina Kotek 94% of the time. I don't, you know, she'll come out against some of the cat tech stuff, some of the, you know, crazy gun belly and all that. This is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But if she's going to just sign into a law in lockstep with anything that a Democratic House and a Democratic Senate passes through and just vote on bills and send her away, then we don't have a real check. We don't have any kind of mm-hmm. effective means to stop some of the more outlandish kind of crazy bills that we know the legislature in Oregon can produce when they are headed by somebody like Tina Cote. Well, I think she has said before uh, in the, I watched the debate uh, last night, two nights ago, I forget when it was. Um, and she talked about how she would, she wanted every bill coming out of the legislature to be bipartisan. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I would have said that. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if she would veto basically anything that's that's, that's a deal breaker then that's, that's a deal breaker um, which doesn't I have a republican voting for it i, I so. give her credit for it. but i think to your point as we were kind of talking about earlier i it, it, it might not necessarily help the kind of state agency heads to be headed by somebody who is an independent by party affiliation but is is still has a good amount of democratic tendencies and i, I think one of the things that you had talked about george was the interest in having somebody who can kind of provide that check and kind of make sure that the focus is there on having agencies that work and having individuals staffed in those agencies who are, you know, competent, not crony leaders who can really go, go out and serve Oregonians. Yeah. And here's, you know, I'm glad you brought this up because with Tina, it sounds from the debates that she's going to keep, you know, the agency heads Mm -hmm. and Betsy says, you know, she'll do a thorough review. And Christine has said, they're all gone. Yeah. When you look at the state of Oregon, we're 48th in the nation for police presence, 46th for graduation rate, 48th for reading and, and math, 50th for for mental health. You know, we're on we're on the we're ranked um, third for the highest inflation rates 
in the nation, we're at the bottom of almost every single list, right? And we're probably at the top of per capita taxes as well. Exactly. So we're yeah, not true. the top, but like toward one of the, the top. top. Yeah, we're one <laughs> of the top. Sixth most heavily taxed state. Yeah. So we're, we're spending a bunch of money and it is not helping Oregonians. It's right. just. But you know what? It takes, people have asked me, George, what is it going to take to change this state around? Well, it's going to take a very different approach. Mm-hmm. It's going to take different leadership. The governor is one person, but they have the power to elect 50 directors. That is a mm-hmm. lot of agency heads that um, impact all of our lives every single day. So for Tina, it's keep the agency heads. For Betsy, it's we'll see. And for Christine, it's no, they're gone. They haven't proven themselves, right? That that is absolutely the right decision. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's one of the things that I think the Trump administration did not do well is appoint agency heads. There's only Mm -hmm. one thing the Trump administration did. (laughs) (laughs) One one of the things that the Trump administration did that that I think was... uh, And so what you end up with is, is the acting directors... Or because it's typical for an executive branch to fire everybody mm. like that's that's typical. And if they don't fire them, they uh, they they resign just as as part of their procedure. And if you don't appoint your people, then what you end up with is career bureaucrats or maybe somebody appointed by the last administration who maybe doesn't believe in your in your mission, in your um, in your agenda, running those organizations, those agencies and they drag their feet, they, you know, appoint the wrong people, they ignore orders, and you are much less effective as an executive, as the executive branch if you don't fire everybody. And I think that Tina saying that she's going to keep everybody on is just goes to show how in Kate's pocket she is. You know, she and Kate are, are two peas in a pod to mix my metaphors. Um, and they, they know all the same people. They'd appoint all the same people. And she is very much the status quo. So interesting. Couldn't um, agree more. Definitely a, it's, it's kind of funny to watch on some of these debates where Tina's, she refused to give a letter grade to Kate Brown. She said, well, instead I'm going to give a letter grade to Christine Drazen and Betsy Johnson. And I think it's an F. And it's like, all right. Well, you know, that wasn't, that the wasn't question, a question. But yeah. But it's like, Color is the sky. I don't want to talk about the sky, but I want to talk about McDonald's. Like, all right, Tina, go. You just <laughs> vent your own question there. You do whatever you want, I guess. This is free for all. But it, it was incredibly interesting to, to hear her kind of take some of these uh, slight swipes at Kate Brown because, I mean, obviously, it's she is... I forget if it's one of or the least popular governor. I know the, for a while it was the, the least, least, the least, the least. But so you obviously you can't really attach yourself to that person, but she is so attached to that. Like, like you say, she's going to yeah. just, it's all the same types of folks that are, bless their hearts, forget their politics. They're just not good at their jobs. And there's just a whole lot of folks in Salem who are not providing the services that Oregonians need to continue to be Oregon. I mean, this is one of the greatest states in the union. We got all the, we got all this pretty beachfront. We got Mount Hood. We have wonderful wine. Although this is a, this particular bottle is Three Rivers, which is a winery out of Walla Walla. So I don't know why Christine <laughs> was Washington wine. You got to maybe get her a couple Darn of it, suggestions Christine. on that one, but, um, but it is pretty good. But I mean, Oregon is just this, this land of opportunity, this land of plenty. And instead of being all of that, I mean, you just rattled off stats like you were running for office or something like that. Like you just have an ability, but it's just, it, everything about it is just so much worse than it should be. Well, you know, the thing is that the, the governor is the most powerful individual and the second most powerful is the speaker of the house. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So you can't sit at a debate stage and say, I'm the only person that, that's done X, Y, and Z. 
Well, guess what? If you're going to take all the credit for all the bills that you've passed, then you mm-hmm. better take all the credit for all of the failures of those bills that have passed. Here, here. Yeah. And I think that there is where there is a lack of accountability. Well, I think this is one of the problems with a, a one-party state, and I mean, Democrats in, a, in particular, no offense, um, is a lot of legislators, a lot of, of politicians look at money spent as a proxy for fixing a problem. You know, you look you look at mailers, you look at all these, everything on, on people's websites, and it's always, I, you know, secured $100 million for this project and $30 million for that project. And, and it's all about dollars, and it's all about... They never talk about what those things do. They talk about how much money was spent on the program. And the one, as, as we've already discussed, the amount of money does not necessarily mean that those programs were successful. It just means that money was spent. And so I think that would be, I, I wish we could get away from dollars spent as a, as a proxy for accomplishing things. And I think Tina does that all the time. Um, Bless her heart. <laughs> George, I was going to ask, you know, you're experiencing executive branch. Um, if there's something you can talk about, I don't know how much you're allowed to disclose, but what do you think is something that from your experience really could be fixed easily on day one by a different governor? Competent governor. Well, I think I've said this in my campaign when I was running for governor. One of the most important things that a governor, um, has at their discretion is hiring the right agency heads, mm-hmm. right? So on day one, you have to have a support system in place and you have to have the right leaders in place. Not so much that are always going to just tell you what you want to hear, but that are actually going to be leaders of the agency and give you pushback too, as the governor to make sure that guess what? We're all in alignment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is healthy to have that type of diversity within your cabinet, but in this state because we have single party control it's our culture to never get out of line yeah it's our culture to always do what we're told to do and so we keep doing it and who are the people that suffer from those failed decisions and those policies it's all of us whether we're paying for it through our taxes or we're watching our loved ones die in the street of portland here here yep and it's definitely i mean that christine opens every debate every commercial whatever with a you already better now than you were four years ago and it's like Obviously, no, nobody is. It's gotten so much worse. Like, I don't know who needs to actually answer that question, but it's like, it's so obvious. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I am curious. Um, so just, just kind of some points. You, you, t- we talked a little bit briefly about abortion. Uh, that I've seen that on, on Reddit. Thank you, Nick, of people who Keep are, honest. will not vote for Drazen because she is pro-life. And this is not something that the governor has power over you know that that is the legislature um christine well, it will the constitution not in the state of oregon well right it's the constitution yeah. sure but the so yeah so it really boils down to the, to the people yeah. the people would need to overturn mm-hmm. that if they if they chose to so it seems to be that so many of the attack ads and so much of the discussion is around the topic of abortion now that roe v wade was was overturned and i see it as a non-issue abortion will continue to be legal in oregon uh, regardless of who the governor is, and frankly, because it's in the Constitution, regardless of who controls the legislature. Um, I don't know if there's... that. Probably you, you're aware of that, and so you probably... That was probably one of the things that you're like, oh, that's not really an issue. Um, 
I guess there wasn't really a question to that. It was just that's kind of a <laughs> well, statement. Let me, let me let me confirm your statement because you're absolutely true. That's one of the reasons why when um, you know I'm here thinking about crossing party lines and endorsing mm-hmm. Christine Drazen, mm-hmm. she made it very clear what her role is as the governor when it comes to abortion, and that's to uphold the law. Mm-hmm. And you're right; it is embedded in our constitution. So there's nothing that the governor can do or the legislature can do. So for me, it's not an issue. But right now, what Democrats are doing is that they're trying to double down. This is their slogan, right? Yeah. Right now, it's their slogan in order to retain power is that they're creating fear. Mm-hmm. And what my fear is is that it's going to work, right? Because that's not what we need. That's not what's going to fix Oregon. That's not what's going to get fifteen thousand people off the streets, right? This is a, a, a serious problem, I think, as Democrats, that we really need to understand that. We can't continue to do this. Let's talk about the real problems and figure out the solution to those things instead of scaring all of these people to think that Christine is this terrible person, which she is not. And shame on us for doing that. That's a really good point. We One of our Republican friends is on the, the DPO, Democratic Party, mailing list for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> he, he shared a, a fundraising email from Kotech that is basically trying to paint Betsy as pro-life or you can't trust Betsy to, to protect women's rights or something like that. And all of us who've been paying attention are like, what? <laughs> she, <laughs> she sat on the board of Planned Parenthood. Yeah. She has been pro-choice her entire life, her entire career. Uh, Betsy has probably done more for abortion rights than Tina has at this point. And yet, because she doesn't have a D by her name, they're using that as the, as a scare tactic to try to win votes and, and, uh, get people to donate and it's it's uh it's irritating um i i hate seeing it well i you know i hear you on that you know as a democrat and you know many of the people that i've talked to and family members that have said you know what i, I just can't vote for a republican and it's like well that's fine but who are you gonna vote for is it gonna be betsy or tina mm-hmm. and they're like i'm voting for betsy and I can understand why, right? Like, I yeah. don't dislike Betsy. I think Betsy's a, it, she's a pit bull, right? Yeah. She doesn't yeah. take. Watching her in those debates has been hilarious. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. So, so awesome. The one-liners from Betsy have been just. Betsy, please come on our show. I just want to, I just want to like give you softball questions. You know, she reminds me, I, you know, I, I love Dave Chappelle and I used to watch the Dave Chappelle show years ago mm-hmm. and he used to always like have this uh, one skit where it was keeping it real. And I'm like, Betsy is keeping it real. Let me tell you what I love about Betsy though, is that she is not intimidated by the establishment. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. She yeah. doesn't need the establishment whatsoever. So she is willing to put it out there and for, for, um, even though I'm not endorsing Tina, but good for her for what she is doing because mm-hmm. she knows even within our own party. See, I'm not the outlier here, right? Mm-hmm. There's many of us. And Betsy is the one that I will give her credit because if it wasn't for her, 100%. I wouldn't have had the courage to actually endorse Christine. She went outside of the party. She decided to run. She has done one heck of a job to um, convince Oregon voters to vote for her. And um, I think if this was a race between Tina and Betsy, I would be voting for Betsy. Mm-hmm. I think... All three of us yeah. are in agreement with that statement. Yeah. Well, I think we wanted, we had a discussion this morning about uh, ranked choice voting. And I wonder if a Drazen win is going to uh, prompt people to implement, try to implement a ranked choice voting in, in Oregon. Um, with, and a ranked choice voting, 
I think Betsy wins because mm-hmm. I think I think Betsy is everybody's second choice, both on the left and the right. Yeah. And so if you have in in a ranked choice system, you know, you you need fifty percent to win. And so I don't think whoever wins, whether it's Tina or Christine. Neither one is going to, no one's going to get 50%. I think, no. like I said, 40, 42% is, is, is your high water mark. Um, and so if all those people, their second pick is Betsy, I think Betsy wins in a ranked choice voting system. So it's interesting. I wonder if, if Drazen wins this time, there's an initiative petition in a couple of years to implement ranked choice voting throughout Oregon. And then Betsy does it again in four years and actually can, and actually wins it. That's, uh, there you go. I put it on the radio. It's there we go. <laughs> an official prediction. That's like what I think is going to happen. Plus 800 or something like that. That's but, what I think is going to happen. So we're, we're no, taking odds here at Rational Republic. We're, I think that's <laughs> Conservative podcast slash loan shark gambling. <laughs> I think that's what's a random happen. scenario. We'll put odds on it. So anyway, we are getting close to the end of our podcast. So one of the things we like to do at the end of the podcast is ask our guests uh, who their favorite Republican is. And Give you a little bit of heads up beforehand, so uh, hopefully you have a, a a person picked out. Yeah, you know, so my absolute favorite, one of my all time favorites, is is John McCain. Mm. You know, I I lived in Arizona. He did one heck of a job representing us uh, in Arizona, and you know, looking back on his life, this you know the service that he gave to his country, and then coming back and. Um, even when he ran for president uh, against Barack Obama, you know, he really stood up for what was right for the people. And even though I, you know, voted for Barack Obama, I so much appreciated how he stood up for Barack Obama in one of those town halls. Right. I remember that when the woman yeah. called him a Muslim. And yeah. Said, nope. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. It's like, yep. yeah, that's talk cool. about just a, yeah. a man of honor. And I wonder, when, I wonder if he had run against someone like Hillary, if he would have been a president, you know. So yeah, less know. a less a less qualified candidate than than Obama. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to win anything against Obama. <laughs> well, dude's, dude's pretty. Well, it's funny because he's, he's he was kind of our version of Hillary. He was probably the most prepared, adept yeah. person ready to be president. He'd been a Senate and Congress before that for thirty years. Well, I'm just saying, like Hillary is very unlikable. Oh no, that's why I, she, no, yeah, why you're she, absolutely yeah. right. But but it's funny because I mean we we just elected Donald Trump, who would like. Also very unlikable. Vodka companies or whatever, just <laughs> stiff contractors out of bills. And it's just like, oh yeah, this guy, this is, this should be our guy for president. I don't uh, know about little, you, Joy. I, different. James and I are not big Donald Trump not fans really. as we've expressed on the podcast many, many, many times. But the, we, yeah, we used to have statesmen in our party and John McCain absolutely was one of them. And it's, and to, to be able to, to run with grace and with class and to lose with grace and with class and to still continue to be a statesman and to do everything that he believed was right for the country is, is frankly just something you don't see a whole heck of a lot of anymore on either side of the aisle. And it's definitely a, um, it's definitely a shame, but it's, it's wonderful to hear, you know, folks kind of hold somebody up, somebody like that up as a, uh, as a model. And, you know, who knows, maybe we'll have a, uh, maybe we'll have another McCain coming up pretty soon sometime. We'll see. I know, but just to set the record straight, I am not a Trump fan either. I assumed you were before you said that. So, we're gonna... <laughs> all right. Well, that's a good place to end it. George, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and giving us the time to, to chat. And listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. 
The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.